All right, good evening, everybody. If you want to go ahead and find your seats, we will uh, we'll go ahead and get started. If you got your Bibles or uh, electronic device and you want to follow along, our text tonight, as you can see, is going to be Romans 14, 1 through 4. Romans 14, 1 through 4. And uh, the title of our lesson, of course, is Spiritual Differences, as you can see. Now... Tonight we start a new chapter in the book of Romans, and the first thing to point out is the theme has not changed from the two previous chapters. Uh, chapters, if, as, you got, as you guys well know by now, 1 through 11 of Romans is, is all about theology, and you get to chapter uh, 12 and 13, and it's really how do you get along with one another? How do you get along with your enemies? How do you get along with the government? How do you get along with uh, just, just each other? And so you can boil it down to uh, what the Bible says is one of the commands that all Scripture falls under, and that is love your neighbor as yourself. But in this chapter, Paul is going to deal with a very, very specific issue. And the issue he's going to deal with is how do we get along with one another in church? Not how do we get along with our enemies or how do we get along with our co-workers or our family or our wives or our husbands or any of that stuff. How do we get along with each other in church? And he's specifically going to deal with the danger of division that is caused by our differences. Okay, now we all know when we come into church, we all bring our own baggage, right? We're different races, we're different ages, we're uh, we're different financial statuses, we're different uh, cultures, ethnicities, nationalities. So we all come into this body with all these, these differences. And Paul understands that when you bring a bunch of people together, that you can have problems. And he's going to deal with that tonight, but it's going to surprise you, I think, how he deals with it. Now, I want to point out two things before we read our, our scripture. Number one... Paul assumes he's talking to born-again believers, okay? He's not talking to the church with a lowercase c, where everybody comes on. He's talking to people that are born again and that are indwelt by the Spirit of God. So he's talking to the church with a capital C, not church with a lowercase c. That's just an assumption, and you'll see that as we move through our verses. The other thing that's incredibly surprising, if I sat here tonight and I said, hey, what, what, if, what would you think are some of the things that would cause splits or divisions in churches? You may, people say, well, it's probably how they spend the money or the color of the carpet or how loud the music is or it's none of that. He doesn't deal with any of our physical differences. He doesn't deal with our cultural differences. He doesn't deal with financial differences. He doesn't deal with our age differences. He doesn't care about any of that. He cares about one thing and that is spiritual differences. This is one of the way I know, ways I know he's talking to true born-again believers because he assumes if you're really born again, all of those things, those are just temporary. And a true born-again believer understands that. True born-again believers have their sights set on eternal things, spiritual things. But that doesn't mean that even those things can't cause differences and disunity among us, and that's what he's going to deal with tonight. Now, the way he's going to categorize this is he's going to say some born-again believers in church have what he calls weak faith, and some born-again believers in church have what he calls strong faith. So there's some in River of Life that have weak faith, and there's some in River of Life 
that have strong faith. And we're going to talk about that uh, tonight. Now, let me, I'm going to give you a warning before we start. If you spend this entire lesson trying to figure out which one you are, you will completely miss the point. So I'm just going to tell you that right off the bat. Most of you are going to sit here thinking, well, am I weak? Am I strong? Forget that, right? We'll deal with the weak and the strong, but if you spend the whole lesson trying to figure that out, you're going to completely miss the point of the entire lesson. So I'm just going to tell you that beforehand. A lot of you are going to do it anyway, but try not to, okay? All right, let's turn to Romans 14. Now, I'm going to read 12 verses. That's a lot to read, uh, but we're, tonight we're going to read all 12. I'm just going to focus on the first four. And, uh, and then we'll come back next week and we'll look at uh, verses uh, 5 through 12. But I want to read the whole thing because I want you to get the gist of what Paul is saying. So he starts like this. He says this. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another person esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of the dead and of the living. So why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. As it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, Paul says, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. So there's the, there's the 12 verses. Now, in order for us to understand what Paul is trying to get across tonight, the first thing we need to figure out is what does he mean by saying someone has weak faith and someone has strong faith? Okay, so I'm going to look at both of those, and I'm going to start with weak faith. What does it mean to, for someone to be weak in their faith? Well, Paul tells us a few things here about these people that he describes as having weak faith. The first thing he does is he gives us an example, and he says, here's a person, and they avoid meat, and they avoid wine. Now, we'll talk about later why they do that. Look at verse 2 again. Paul says, One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Okay, so here you've got this person who won't eat meat. Now, and we'll explain why here in just a minute. And Paul says they are weak faith. If you go on to verse 21, Paul says this, It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to Stumble. So here are some people in the church. They won't eat meat. Why are they doing it? Are they doing it for health reasons? Are they doing it for uh, uh, political reasons? We'll figure that out in a little bit. But for now, Paul says he describes these people as having weak faith. Number two, having weak faith, these people are not legalists. Does everybody know what legalism is? 
where legalism means you think you're going to be accepted by God because you do all this good stuff. That's legalism, okay? Now, this is not legalism. If you go back to the book of Galatians, there were some Jews there who came to the Galatian church and said, if you want to be saved, you've got to be circumcised. And Paul was absolutely furious with them. And he said that what you are telling these people is a false gospel. I mean, he literally excoriated them for that. Paul has no problem getting in somebody's face, okay? But he didn't do that here, right? He gives, in fact, if you read that again, you'll notice something very, very telling. He never once criticizes anybody with weak faith. Never. He never says one word about them negative or anything at all. In fact... This is what we find out about them. Their practice, what they're doing is not sinful, but it is actually God-exalting behavior. Now, how do I know it's not sinful? Well, in Romans 14, 23, Paul says this, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Well, Paul doesn't say they have no faith. He says they have what? Weak faith. They're born again. They have been saved by faith. They, these are born-again believers. So what they're doing is not sinful. It's not coming out of a legalism, trying to be accepted by God. They are acting from faith, even though it is a weak faith. So whether you agree with them or not, what you need to understand is what they are doing is driven by their faith. In fact, look at verse 6 and what Paul says about them. He says, "...the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God." While the one who abstains, who doesn't eat meat and drink wine, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Okay? Now, I want you to notice the credit. Not only does Paul not criticize them for having weak faith, he actually gives them credit. He says they're acting on faith, they're God-honoring, and they're thankful. Now, I want you to really be honest. Is that what you think of when you think of somebody having weak faith? I mean, that's not how I... I mean, I, when I think somebody's got weak faith, I mean, I think they're barely making it. They're barely getting by. They're, they're doing a bunch of stuff they shouldn't be doing. Paul says, no. No, they're honoring God by what they're doing. They're thankful for what they're doing. They think they're doing the right thing. Now, for whatever reason, they regard uh, meat and wine as unclean. Now, how do I know that? Well, in verse 14, Paul says this. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Now listen, Paul would not say that if that wasn't applicable to the situation. They think that there's something unclean about eating uh, uh, meat and drinking wine. And so that's why they abstain from it. They say, I'm not going to do that because that wouldn't bring glory to God. I'm not going to do that because it would dishonor God. Okay? Now, they were wrong, and Paul knew they were wrong. But notice, Paul never criticizes them. Paul never says anything against them. He says they're honoring God. Yes, they've got weak faith, but he doesn't even try, in this case, to, to correct them. Now, he knows they're wrong. He believes they're wrong. But he actually is, let me tell you, Paul is always impressed with saving faith. He doesn't care if it's that much or that much. It's impressive because saving faith is a miracle from God. And he knows that. Okay? Now, 
I want you to see that, that Paul is practicing what he preached. In verse 1, he says, welcome the weak. In verse 3, he said, don't despise the weak. And that's exactly what he's doing, and he's giving them credit. He's saying, man, you guys are God-honoring. You are thankful. You are, you're, you're doing what you think is right to bring glory to God. Now, this raises a question. They're abstaining from meat and wine based on faith. Now, by the way, they know God. Everybody with me? These are born-again believers. Paul doesn't say they have no faith. He says they have weak faith. What they're doing is based on faith. Therefore, they know God. It is God-honoring, and it is thankful to God. They they love God. These aren't, I mean, these are are good Christian people. Now, here's the problem. Why is it weak? If they've got faith, and they're honoring God, and they're thankful to God, then why in the world would Paul ever call their faith weak? Well, in Romans, Paul doesn't tell us. He never goes into details and tells us why their faith is weak. But in his letter to the Corinthians, he deals with a very specific or a very similar situation. Let me go read for you 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And I would suggest if you have some time when you get home, go read that whole chapter. Uh, It's a lot to learn there. 1 Corinthians 8, I'm going to start in verse 4 through 7. Paul says this, he's dealing with, there's an issue in the Corinthian church that some people will not eat food that's been offered to idols. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Back in those days, they had these pagan temples to Zeus and Apollos and and Mercury and uh, Athena and all these different uh, Greek and Roman gods. And they would go into these pagan temples and they would sacrifice animals, okay? Now, when they were done, they didn't want to waste the meat, so they would take it to the market and they would sell it, okay? So you go down to the market and there's some meat, right? And it's got a sign over it and it says, just this morning offered to Zeus $4.99 a pound, okay? And when that, there were people in the church says, you can't, you can't buy that meat. They offered that to an idol. And there's other people in the church says, are you kidding? That's four ninety nine a pound. I'm, I'm grabbing all I can of that. And it was creating problems between people. So Paul's dealing with it. So he writes a letter. He says, therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols. Now watch what he says. We know that an idol has no real existence and there is no God but one. There may be so-called gods in heaven and earth and there's always going to be gods and lords. People's always going to put names on things. But watch what Paul says. But for us, there is one God, the Father from whom all are things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge. What does Paul mean? Not all possess this knowledge. He, he means not all everybody understands that idols are nothing. You can take an idol, you can make it out of silver, you can make it out of gold, you can make it out of wood, and guess what it is? It's silver or gold or wood. It is nothing. And you can take a piece of meat that's offered to that idol, and somehow the the demon doesn't infect the T-bone and get into you. Right? And and Paul says, we know that eating meat is is nothing. Do it. I mean, we know that. We have the knowledge of that. But watch what he says in verse 7. However... Not all possess this knowledge. 
but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Listen to the New Living Translation. It says it really well. However, he says, not all believers know this or understand this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that's been offered to idols, they think of it as the worship of real gods and their weak consciences are violated. Notice what it said. Some are accustomed to thinking. See, Paul was raised a Jew. Paul was taught from day one, there's one God and everything else is nothing. Paul had no problem with eating meat offered to idols. But yet there's other people that were brought up in these pagan temples. They were raised in that from a baby and their whole life they've been, I mean, they prayed to these gods and they had these little idols on their chariots and in their homes. And, and then one day they met Jesus Christ and they know Jesus Christ. They are born again, but it's, it, it's, they bring all that with them. And, and they're accustomed to thinking of those things as real. They would say, I know they're not real. But it's hard to get away from it. We've all got some of those things in our life. I'll use my dad as an example. My dad will not fish on Sunday. Okay? He was right. He, he's smiling over there. He was raised his whole life. You don't fish on Sunday. You don't fish on Sunday. You don't fish on Sunday. Right? And if, I, if you ask him today, hey, man, the reds are biting. Let's go, let's go fishing Sunday afternoon. He'll say no. Now, is there anything wrong with fishing on Sunday? Is that working? I don't think so. I don't have a problem with it, but he does. Therefore, he shouldn't do it. Whatever is not from faith is sin. Be convinced in your own mind. If it bothers his conscience, he shouldn't do it. See, a lot of us come in, we're raised in situations. We're raised in, in a Baptist church or a Catholic church or we're raised as an atheist. And we come in and we've got just all this stuff we've been dealing with all these years. And all of a sudden we're exposed to Jesus Christ and the truth, but we're not perfect. We've still got to deal with all that baggage we brought to the house with us. And that's what Paul is saying about them. Their conscience are, are violated because they still see that, those, they, they still think of those things as being real. They know they're not. They know what the Word says, and they're trying to get to that point. But right now, it still bothers their conscience. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 8.8. 8. Listen to the statements he makes. Food will not commend us to God. We're no worse off if we do not eat, and we're no better off if we do. Paul says food is nothing. 1 Corinthians 10.35, he says this, Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the grounds of conscience. Why? Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God made that cow. God made that goat. God made those collard greens. They're yours. Enjoy them. That's what he's saying, right? It's, it's the Lord's. But see, some believers lack that understanding. And Paul says their faith is weak. It's, not, it's, it's still faith. It's real, true, saving faith. It's just not as strong as it could be if they, they kind of had this knowledge or this understanding that those idols are nothing. Now, let's flip the coin. What does it mean to be strong in faith? Well, it's just the opposite. The strong are like Paul. They have a fuller understanding of God and his relation to the world. They understand and, and, and that God is, I mean, God... God made all this for us, right? And it's not what goes into the body that defiles a man. It's what comes out of their heart. When you understand these things, then you're, you're set free to some extent. And your faith is, is stronger. Now, don't make a mistake here. 
Okay, I want you to see how amazing Paul's distinctions are. The weak in faith are not self-exalting. They're not saying, look at me, look how, look how I'm abstaining from all this unclean stuff, look how great I am. And the, and the strong aren't over there uh, saying, man, I can do anything I want to do. In fact, watch what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 9 through 13. Now he's talking to the people who eat meat. He said, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, he will, not, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? You see what he's saying there? That old, the old guy who's not been buying that T-bone because it was offered to Zeus. He comes down to the meat market, right? He's just passing by on the way to where the collard greens are because he can't buy the meat. And he looks over there, and there's brother so-and-so who he really looks up to. Been a Christian a long time, and brother so-and-so is, is, is getting several pounds of them ribeyes. And he looks and says, well, you know, if he can do it, it's, it's probably okay for me. He knows he, he, he don't feel right about it, but he thinks if that person can do it, he's a good Christian, he's a strong Christian. Paul says, don't do that. And watch what he says. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience, you sin against Christ. It wasn't the weak brother that was sinning, it was the strong brother. He said, you just, you, just, you just totally ignored his feelings. You totally ignored his conscience, and you just did what you want to do, and you sinned against him, and you sinned against Christ. Be very, very careful, he's telling the strong. He never criticizes the weak. It's the strong, he says, be very careful how you use this strength and knowledge that you have. Paul goes on to make this statement. Therefore, and by the way, remember, Paul has no problem with eating meat. He says, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again. If it makes my brother stumble, even though I'm completely free to do it, I will never touch it again. Notice the focus of the strong. It's not what's good for me or what's right for me or what's best for me or what I'm free to do. It's what will offend the weak. How will this look to somebody else? That's the focus of the strong. Now, again, in Paul's mind, the weak and the strong, they're Christians, they're both saved. They are radically God-centered people. Their differences come in what they believe brings more glory to God. I want you to see that statement. That's their, they're both saved. They're both Christians. What their differences are is what they believe brings more glory to God. One person says, if I don't eat that meat, that brings more glory to God. The other person says, man, if I eat those ribeyes, glory to God. That's their differences. By the way, notice there's, their differences only relate to non-essential things. Now, I'm going to take a detour right here for a moment. And, and I want to make a point uh, about, and this was something that was taught to me many years ago and made a big difference in my life, and I want, you to, I want to try to get this point across to you. I want to talk to you for a moment about opinions, beliefs, and convictions. Now, I'm going to give you some definitions. These are not Bible definitions. These are mine. And I'm just giving them to you for the sake of conversation because I want to make a point, okay? What's the difference between opinions, beliefs, and conviction? An opinion is something that seems true to somebody, but you have probably no evidence for it at all, right? Everybody's got opinions, right? Uh, 
you know, this, this, this thing will never run. This house will never sell. This, this thing, will, you know, those are opinions. You just, you just think it, but you really don't have much support for, for your opinion. Everybody with me so far? A belief is something that we accept as true because of some evidence or, or some statement, but it's not necessarily a hill you would die on. Okay? You believe it, but it's not necessarily a hill you would die on. A conviction is a strong belief about which you have no doubt. It's a strong belief, and you would die for that belief. Let me, I, somebody showed me this picture uh, as, as a way of explanation. Opinion is glued, a belief is nailed, a conviction is fused. If you nail something, you can pull it I mean, if you glue something, you can pull it apart. A belief can be pulled apart with a little more work, but when something is fused, it cannot be, it cannot be pulled apart. Let me give you a, a, a little test here. I'm going to give you three things. Should we be baptized? Yes or no. How should we be baptized? And what to wear when we're baptized? Should we be baptized? How should we be baptized? And what to wear? So if I put them in order, should we be baptized? That is a conviction. That is a command from Jesus Christ, believe and be baptized, right? That is the first thing we do, that we are commanded to do in obedience to Him. That is fused inside of me. I hope it's fused inside of you. That should be a conviction. How should we be baptized? Well, <laughs> that's not quite as clear. Now, we believe that you should be immersed. Do, do we believe that? Because if you go to the Bible, Paul says, now make sure that when you lower back, you go in exactly 6.2 inches under the water. He doesn't say that, does he? What does he say? He says, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the likeness of Christ. Now, that to me infers, burial infers immersion, right? But listen, if I was in the desert and, and I was with somebody and we had one gallon of water and he said, I want to be baptized, I'd say, stop here, I'm going to just pour a little over your head. Are you with me? It's not a hill I'm going to die on. I think there are brothers and sisters out there who were just sprinkled or, or however they do it in other places. Are you with me? It's not, it's not an essential to the faith. In fact, I know one man who's in heaven right now and he was never baptized at all. You know who that is? The thief on the cross. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And he didn't, get, he didn't get the chance to do that. Now, what to wear? Probably got an opinion. Y'all like the white robes? But if somebody says, I don't want to wear a white robe, but whatever. <laughs> it's an opinion, right? It, it, you know, we could say, well, you need to be modest. And you, Are you with me? You see the difference between these things? You see, in our life, we all have these Three circles, if you will. We have convictions. And, and inside of those convictions are the essential of the faith. We believe in the Trinity. We believe in the sinlessness of Jesus, Jesus Christ. We believe in the deity. We believe in the resurrection. We believe in all of these things that are essential. They are fused. Those are convictions. But then we have a... Outside of those convictions, we have a lot of beliefs that we're, we're pretty sure about. But it's probably, you know, it's not something we need to quarrel over. And then outside of that, you just got opinions. Just, and, and we'll actually look at a few of those next week. Now, what happens is over time, questions come up. We have differences. I think you ought to do this. Well, I think you ought to do that. 
And a lot of times it's not about the color of the carpet. It's not about how loud the music is. It's not about whether you should put scriptures on the... On, it's not about those things. It's about spiritual things. It's about things that we feel strongly about. Let me tell you, be very careful in your life that you don't make opinions into convictions and convictions into opinions. Be very careful that you don't take opinions, things that you don't have any scriptural basis for, and you turn that into a conviction that you're willing to die for. Be very careful of that. Paul says, don't quarrel over opinions. Okay? So, what do we do when all those questions right there get asked and we have disagreements? We answer those questions differently. We have differences. What do we do? Paul gives us four things. The first thing he says, he says it positively, what to do and how to do it. Look at verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Paul says... Build relationships. Don't, don't let these divisive things, these divisive questions over non-essentials create barriers. I'm afraid, and I'm guilty of this, I'm afraid that many of us immediately let non-essential things create barriers between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says, set the non-essentials aside. If you agree that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, if you agree that He died on the cross and rose the third day, if you believe that putting your faith in Him and believing in the resurrection will save you, agree on those things. Let that be your rule of thumb. Don't, don't leave those divisive things to the side. Welcome weaker brothers. Next, Paul says it negatively. He says what not to do. First, he said what to do. Now, he says what not to do. Look at verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. A lot of time, and here's, a, here's this odd thing. Almost every one of us think we're strong. If I ask you today, are you got weak faith or strong faith, most of us are going to think we're strong. And if you think you're strong, you have a tendency to look down on the weak. Well, why, don't, why don't they see that the way I see it? Why don't they understand that the way I understand it? And so we, we tend to look down on people with a patronizing air. Paul hasn't done that. Paul, remember, he doesn't criticize the weak at all. In fact, he says, look at their faith. It's honoring God. He, he, he gives them credit. We should do the exact same thing. The weak, on the other hand, are sometimes tempted to judge the strong as being careless. See, that guy in the meat market looks at that other guy and he says, Man, he, he's, man, he, should, he shouldn't really do that. He's, he's being careless with his faith. He, he, and, and they'll despise or judge the, the strong in that case. But Paul says, Don't do either one of those things. Don't quarrel over opinions. Don't quarrel over non-essential things. Instead, welcome one another. Accept one another. Build your relationships on something greater. Now, what is that? This is what Paul takes up in verses 3 and 4. Paul's going to give us three incredible truths that you and I should build our relationships on. Okay? I'm going to tell you right now, these are incredible truths and he's going to give us three of them in these verses. And these truths are what you and I should build our relationships on. Number one, God has accepted us both 
weak and strong in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. He says, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Weak faith, strong faith, they're both saving faith. They are both children of God. God has accepted them. God has forgiven them. Paul says, remember that. Remember that as brothers and sisters, that you, you are both accepted by God. Listen, the very meaning of a, being a Christian is justification by faith. Not any type of work, not any type of action, not any type of behavior. It is you are justified, made right with God because you put your faith in Jesus Christ. The weak person did that, the strong person did that, and everybody in between did that. Paul says if they are a believer in Christ, remember that. Number two, Paul says God will be our judge. And that word, that our is, is us. Look at verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. Paul says, remember this, we all serve one master, and we will one day, every single one of us, give an account to him. Romans 14, 12. Remember that last verse I read. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. A few weeks ago, I was sitting with uh, James Parker over at the dinner, and we were just talking about some things, and we were talking about how some Christians don't believe they'll ever be judged. They just don't believe that. That's not what Scripture teaches us at, at all. Every single one of us will give an, an account. So this is his second truth. The first truth is that God has welcomed you both. God has accepted you both. The, the second truth is that we all serve one master. I don't serve you. You don't serve me. I'm not your judge, you're not mine. Judgment is coming, take care of yourself. Focus on yourself. Make sure you're doing what your master wants you to do. Number three, and I love this one more than any of the other three, God will make us both weak and strong stand in the last day. Look at verse four. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he, every believer will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, I don't know if you understand what he just said, but he says every single believer from the weakest to the strongest will one day stand before God and give an account, and on that day, the Lord will make every single one of them stand. Every single one of them stand. Now here, see, right before, Paul says, you're going to stand before the judge, didn't he? Now he goes beyond that and said, oh yeah, by the way, just remember, we will all stand. None of us will be condemned in the last day. You see, let me explain something about the judgment that we're going to go under. Christians will, not endure, uh, will never have to stand and endure a judgment for our sin. That judgment for me took place 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ bore my sins on the cross. Every sin I've committed in the past, every sin I'm, in the, I'm committing right now, every sin I've committed in the future to the day I die was in his body on that cross, on Golgotha 2,000 years ago. My sin judgment is gone. You understand that? No, no, there is 
there is, listen to what Jesus said in John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. The judgment he's talking about is the judgment for your sin. Romans 8, 1, Paul said, Therefore is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You're, there's no condemnation, no sin, judgment, none of that. That was taken care of on the cross if you are a Christian. Yet the Bible teaches that all men, saved and unsaved, must give an account to God. Look at uh, Romans 14, 10 through 12. Let's read it again. For we will, say it with me. What does all mean? Every single one of us. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess. So then, Paul says, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Don't confuse that judgment of Christians with the sin judgment of believers, of unbelievers. Don't confuse those two. In fact, Paul didn't want to confuse it. So in this statement, when he says we shall all stand before the judgment seat of, of Christ, he uses a different Greek word. He uses the word bima. And you can go look it up, Romans 14.10, go find the lexicon, and you'll find where he says judgment seat, it's, it's the word bima. And bima is a word that appears in classical Greek at the Olympics. When You know, when the, you see the Olympics and you see the, the, the gold medalist and the silver medalist and the bronze medalist, and they step up on the platform, that's the word he's using. That's the Bema seat. You're not going to be judged for your sin. That's where the rewards are given out. Listen to 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, where Paul describes this judgment. He says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest. Now, let's stop right there. If you are a Christian... You may be the weakest one, and you may be the strongest one. Your foundation is Jesus Christ. Now, every day you get up and walk, you're building on that foundation. You're building on that foundation. Every, everything you do for Christ is building on that foundation. Now, some people are building things that are Paul refers to as gold and silver and precious stone, but other people, they're doing it for the wrong reasons. They're just doing, for whatever reason, Paul refers to what they're building as wood, hay, and straw. And it says, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. This is not a judgment for sin. This is a judgment or us giving an account for what type of husband I was, what type of father I was, what type of teacher I was. You've you got to give an account. That's why Paul says if you really understood this, you wouldn't walk through life worrying about that guy. You'd be worried about this guy. That's what he wants us to see. You wouldn't be worried about that guy. Worry about you. Because you're going to stand before Christ. And I'm going to be honest with you, on that day, I, I just think when you stand before him and see him face to face, what, what a disappointment. I don't, I don't even know the feeling. What kind of feeling will it be when you realize, I should have done more. 
I, I should have prayed more. I, I, I should have spent more time with him. I should have I should have told I should have witnessed more. I should have loved more. I should have cared more. I should have done more. Not because it would have earned me anything, because here I stand, but because well look at him. Look at how beautiful he is. Look at how glorious he is. I just didn't I didn't understand that. That's what Paul says. Some have weak faith. They just don't understand who he is while others do. Let me tell you, one day, the weakest believers and the... Listen, we have differences. We have differences. We see things different spiritually. But if we are believers and our foundation is Jesus Christ, then I'm here to tell you the weakest believer to the strongest believer will stand one day before God and we are loved and we are accepted, and we are forgiven, and, and, and we, are, we are his child, right? And by the way, all because of Christ. Did you notice what Paul said? They will be upheld, for God is able to make them stand. God is able to make them stand. On that day, every single one of us will realize the only reason I'm standing here is because of him. It's the only reason, and he will get all the glory. In fact, the Bible says we'll take those crowns that he gave us and we'll throw them at his feet. You see, these, are, these rewards are nothing. You take them. All I need is you. You're my portion. You're all I care about. What a glorious day that's going to be. Listen, all of these huge theological truths are given to us by Paul so that we can change our perspective. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to change our perspective. He wants us to keep the main thing the main thing. Don't get drawn, drawn off into opinions and quarrels and differences about non-essential things. Keep the main thing the main thing. And let me tell you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are my brother and you are my sister. We are family. And we are family. And we've got to stop taking non-essential things and putting them first and saying, well, what do you think about that? Or what do you believe about that? Or what about that? Set those things aside and recognize our brothers and sisters in Christ and build our relationships on that fact and nothing else. Let's pray. Father, I am always amazed at your word. I, I, I just, it stuns me sometimes that things written 2,000 years ago are just as relevant Right now, uh, it, 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 whatever this date is, March 30th at River of Life in 2022, it is, your word is unbelievable. And God, thank you so much for giving it to us. Uh, thank you so much for revealing it to us. Thank you for, for bringing brothers and sisters in Christ here tonight to hear this word. And I pray as we walk out of here tonight that each one of us will have a change in our perspective and the way that we deal with with our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we'll start to not dwell on the non-essentials, but we'll focus as much as we can on the essentials, the things that we have in common, the fact that you are our master, that you are our savior, that you are our foundation, that you are our judge. We build our, build our relationships on that, and we all have that in common, God, we, and we'll watch and see what you do. We love you, Lord. I think we've got some people... Um, who we uh, need to pray for. We pray for uh, Chuck Coburn's family, Lord, as he lost his sister 
uh, a few days ago, Lord, we just pray for them that you'll continue to be with them and just give him and, and his parents and his, uh, his sister uh, peace, Lord, and just, uh, just be with them in this time. We pray for Brother uh, Wade Hilton, who I believe was uh, taken to the emergency room today. God, we just pray that whatever's going on there, that you be with him. We had a young lady over here in the uh, fellowship hall earlier that failed, God. We just pray, God, that you be with her and touch her um, as she's going to be checked out. Lord, anybody else in this body, Father, that needs you, Father, I, you know the needs before we can even speak them. I ask that you do what you do, Lord. Be with your children. Keep your children. Guard your children. Heal your children. In Jesus' name, amen.